All right, it is the week of November 28th, 2022, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and if you celebrated Thanksgiving, hope you had a good one. I certainly did. Gained a couple pounds. Obviously not back in the office yet, hoping next week, but if the sound's a little wonky, let me know in case I have to and I need to adjust some things. But in terms of what we're covering on this week's podcast, had some things planned, especially with the time off. And then we had some major developments in the UFC James Krause betting saga fiasco scandal, whatever you want to call it. So even though we covered it last podcast, we need to cover those updates and make it the main focus of this one again, especially as it relates to the UFC and Endeavor's mitigation measures and how they deal with these new issues that have arisen. From what I'm hearing and what's going on, this is going to have major ramifications for not just the UFC and Endeavor, but the industry as a whole. So we have to take a look at what happens when you have a scandal that can affect an entire industry and how businesses navigate that. So that'll be our main topic. Then we'll do quick hits where I'll cover a couple of things I had originally planned, kind of crammed in there. And then last but not least, we're going to talk about something we covered maybe two or three months ago, but I feel like needs a rehash, which is MMA media's role in the business of MMA and also the industry, especially with this crowd story and things that are developing. I've seen a lot of hot takes or opinions about the media in general, and I think there's still a gross misunderstanding of what the MMA media's role is versus what people probably think it should be. So we need to talk about how it fits into the ecosystem and really how it's changed in the past 10, 20 years, because I don't think people truly understand unless they're in it again, some of the limitations and expectations that fall on MMA media at this point. So timestamps at the bottom, as always, if you're watching on YouTube, like subscribe, bell notification that in mind let's go ahead and dive right in all right so our first topic for today's podcast and as i mentioned we covered it last time but we've got to cover these new developments because it's that big of a deal is on thursday december 1st around 12 p.m central time the alcohol and gaming commission of ontario released a press release that stated quote effective immediately The Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario is requiring all registered casino, lottery, and iGaming operators that offer sport and event betting products in Ontario to stop offering and accepting wagers on Ultimate Fighting Championship events due to concerns about non-compliance with AGCO's betting integrity requirements. Then talks about what these requirements are for the registrar, um, specifically rules to safeguard against odds manipulation and fight fixing, And then says, quote, contrary to the registrar's standards, the UFC does not prohibit all insiders from betting on UFC events, which could include an athlete's coaches, managers, handlers, athletic trainers, medical professionals, or the persons with access to non-public information. Not going to read the rest of the statement, but again, just goes on to say this is in the best interest of the public, et cetera, et cetera. And if you were in Ontario and you were using one of their services to bet through sports books... You probably saw either your ticket be voided or odds just disappear on this past weekend's UFC Orlando fight events. It's a big deal. I mean, Ontario is 
I think the largest, if not the, if not very close, um, you know, province for that has gambling and that type of stuff. What I've seen uh, people talk about is, you know, it has a potential of $6 billion in gambling revenue, which is still, you know, much less than in the States, depending on the state, right? New Jersey's, I think is 31 billion, but it's 15 million people that would use those services, that type of thing. It's, it's a very big deal. So that happens. And then the next day on December 2nd, Alberta follows suit. Won't read that specific press release, but same type of deal due to, you know, issues or concerns about integrity and match fixing, um, insider betting, et cetera. Alberta is also pulling the ability to bet on UFC events. So on Friday, you saw your tickets voided or odds disappear or both. In response to this, the UFC does two things. One, they release Derek Minner, right? The fighter whose bout caused them suspicious odds shift and really kind of set off this entire investigation by provincial commissions and state commissions, U.S. state commissions. And then they state that if you train with James Krause, if you are coached by him, if he's in your corner, you won't be able to participate in UFC events, which is major. They still let Marcelo Rojo fight, who was on this past weekend's card, because, again, they felt it was only fair, which I applaud them for that. I mean, they, they pulling him last minute would have been pretty ridiculous because it's not his fault. And he, I'm sure he wasn't giving any heads up on this. Um, but yeah, I mean, going forward, any of James Krause's fighters that he coaches, that he corners, that train with him at Glory MMA are essentially banned from UFC events pending the results of this investigation. So it's not a forever ban yet, but it's definitely a temporary ban on fighting the UFC if you work with him. I mean, notable names, right? Talked about Rojo, uh, who's kind of a name. But then the other biggest name, I would say, that this affects is Brandon Moreno, who will fight Devison Figueredo at UFC 283 in their fourth mount match. Um, you know, Moreno's the interim flyweight champion. He's going to fight to unify the titles against Figgy again. That may be in jeopardy. I mean, it's far enough out. My guess is Moreno will find other coaching. It'll be fine, but it could easily affect Moreno's camp, right? I mean, it's going to, it sounds like. Uh, Moreno came out in support of Kraus when this happened, saying, you know, all will be revealed and, and, you know, truth will come out about this. I mean, he didn't say those exact words, but something to that extent. Um, I mean, big deal. It's a big, big deal. And also just want to, you know, give a huge shout out to Aaron Bronstetter who did fantastic reporting on this before we go any further. Um, he was all over this story. He does great work already. If you don't follow him, you definitely should. Um, but he was all over this story and really got a lot of this information out there. Talk to the other gaming commissions in Canada who haven't pulled UFC events yet. They're say they're monitoring the situation type of thing, but haven't pulled anything yet. Um, so huge shout out to him because don't know we would have nearly as much information as we do without him. So those are all the official actions that have been taken and that we can see in the public eye right now. Um, Aaron did follow up with Alberta and I believe Ontario saying, were they aware of the UFC 
you know, essentially bringing down the hammer on Krauss's fighters and organization, et cetera. And they said, yes, but we still have concerns. Not going to make any changes. From what I've seen, people I've talked to, certain rumors I've heard, this goes much deeper than Kraus. Um, Luca Fury and Ariel Hawani have said that this is much bigger than it appears. Everything I have seen and heard would tend to agree with that statement. There's nothing I can really report on because a lot of it's still unconfirmed and just kind of rumors or conversations with people who aren't directly involved, but there's a lot more going behind, a lot more going on behind the scenes than just these actions from what I can tell. And one would assume on the UFC side that their quick response to release Minner and ban Kraus from and Kraus's fighters and coaching and all of that was because they got somewhat of a heads up through their contacts. I don't know how much of a heads up, but I'm assuming they knew. And this wasn't just a direct knee jerk response. Could have been, but I doubt it. How this will affect the industry going forward is still unknown. I think there will be more major developments in the coming weeks, maybe even months, but probably weeks. And while Kraus is the fall guy for all of this, right? And was kind of open about this. And part of the reason this all got kicked off, it's been pretty much confirmed with the ESPN story that he's obviously not the only one doing this, right? Um, there's a lot more going on with a lot more people involved. Now, how does this affect both the UFC endeavor and then what mitigation standards can they take? Uh, and, and what can they do to contain this? So let's start with the UFC. First thing I want to discuss is I've seen a lot of people saying, oh man, this puts their DraftKings $350 million sponsorship in jeopardy. I do not believe that at this point. Doesn't mean it couldn't down the line, but with what we know now, that's probable, I do not believe so at all. Reason being that I think the only way DraftKings pulls out of that deal is if you've got true match-fixing elements involved and it's so widespread that the public perception of this will cause enough backlash that MMA betters will probably pull out or DraftKings other partners start to kind of raise the red flag and say, look, you've got to kind of cut ties here, right? If that doesn't happen, despite a couple gaming commissions pulling things and, you know, New Jersey already banned Kraus, but I mean, let's say a couple other states join in. If DraftKings can still get significant action from MMA bettors and their other partners or vendors don't threaten to terminate deals or don't make a huge fuss about it, DraftKings isn't going to pull out. DraftKings stock has been hammered this year along with a lot of other betting stocks. They need the money. They need the exposure. Um, they paid that much for a reason, right? Because they wanted to be where the action was for the largest MMA promotion. Cutting off that resource 
you'd have to have enough evidence that says, okay, this is actually going to hurt us long-term or in such a way that, you know, we need to pull out because it's financially, it's not the move they want to make, right? It, it isn't. So I do not think it's in jeopardy. A lot of people are jumping to that conclusion like, oh man, this could affect all. It technically could, but there's nothing I've seen or heard that leads me to believe that it's anywhere near in jeopardy. And jumping to that conclusion is is reckless right now, in my opinion. Doesn't mean it couldn't end up being true as more information comes out, but everything I've seen and heard, that's not on the line here. Where things are a little bit more complicated come down to Endeavor's recent acquisitions of OpenBet and IMG Arena. So OpenBet and IMG Arena are services that Endeavor acquired recently that we talked about last time, right? It's a betting engine and uh, streams, live stats and data to sports books. Endeavor can't own a sports book that takes bets on the UFC. I mean, they could maybe hypothetically, I honestly don't know the legality of that, but my guess is it's probably a either illegal or the perception would just be so terrible. It would, it's just not worth it to them. So instead what they do is kind of bought services to help with the vertical integration of delivering that service and information around that service to other already established sports books, right? So yeah, we don't own a place where you can actually bet on the UFC, but we send all the stats and help the odds makers place the odds that they should for these bets. So we're kind of, you know, the back end of the betting process. And it makes sense, right? It's not illegal. It's something where you've got synergy between your product that you own outright and then helping to take some revenue from these sports books who need information on key stats and key information that they're trying to pitch to betters. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's a no brainer that Endeavor bought those entities and set it all up. If however, this contagion spreads to other commissions, the perception gets worse. If you have a lot more coaches or individuals named and things coming out about, you know, this is a, Major issue, we've got coaches betting on all of our fighters. We've got all this stuff going on. Or if there are elements of match fixing, right? So again, let's say in the Derek Minner fight, it's a prime example. Um, you know, you know a fighter's injured. And then you end up telling a bunch of people and you place bets that that fighter either loses on money line or you know, it, it, it's a TKO round one. And you know, your fighter says like, you know, I'm probably gonna make it one round. That's it. Uh, then that's match fixing in a way, right? It's, it's not set match fixing of like go down in round one or go down in round two, but there's some elements that are part of that. Or let's say you, you talk to your fighter and you were like, Hey, like just coaching him on just, just get through the decision. Don't worry about knocking him out. Don't do an all. Don't worry about, you know, going for a submission, just get through the decision. And then you place a bet on your fighter to win by decision or just the fight to go the distance. I mean, that's, you've maybe, maybe influenced the outcome of a match. Hard to say. It's this weird gray area. You're definitely 
trying to influence the outcome of the match. And I'm not saying that's what happened here, right? I not saying that's what Kraus did. I'm not saying that's what others are doing. I think it's much more likely that again, some of these some of the people around these athletes know things that are not made public and then they take action on it. They say, well, okay, I'm going to make some money on the side because I know that my guy's banged up here or my guy's just been killing it on, you know, jujitsu stuff. And I'm hearing that the other guy's struggling with that. Maybe I'll put a submission bet, that type of stuff. And where it gets complicated, right? And part of what the commissions have said is the current athlete code of conduct that the UFC released only really applies to fighters. They updated it in October to say like anyone involved, but it's pretty vague and I don't know the legalities of it. I will say, um, you know, I reached out to good friend of the show, Dan Lust, who covers sports law again, follow him as well. Fantastic. And he said he was going to do a podcast surrounding all of this and the legality portion of it, uh, their conduct detrimental podcasts with, uh, Daniel Wallach, just fantastic. So check that out. Because I'm I'm out of my depth in terms of all the technical legal issues here. But obviously there are things that are being affected. Otherwise, the commission commissions wouldn't care. Or they might, you know, issue a reprimand or something, but nothing to the degree of pulling all action on events. But from Endeavor's perspective, if the perception becomes like, oh, this is tainted or this isn't great or what have you, they might have sports books. Again, pull betting on events, which means that open bet and IMG arena now become worthless, right? They're not going, if they're going to pull UFC events from being bet on, then those same sports books don't want algorithms to help them set the odds, obviously, or streaming about news and stats of particular fighters. So then that starts to hurt Endeavor's bottom line. And we know how much debt Endeavor is in and with variable debt being around 40% and interest rates still on the rise. Not the time you want to have provinces or state commissions pull action on your events. I mean, those acquisitions were not cheap. So then it starts to hurt Endeavor's bottom line, which in turn affects the UFC, right? To a degree. And Endeavor, I'm sure will put pressure on the UFC to say, Hey, yeah, this is a problem now. UFC directly, again, I don't see the sports book deal with DraftKings really. I, I don't see it in jeopardy yet, but you know, they're they're still pretty insulated from that perspective, but this is now affecting their parent company, and that's of course going to drive action. I.e. the release of Minner, i.e. the ban on fighters working with Kraus. Now, the question is, is that as this unfolds, right, let's say in a scenario moving forward, you've got multiple coaches doing this. You've got cornermen, medical professionals, people within the UFC who help to organize things, right, organize events. Let's say you, this is a widespread phenomenon. Um, let's say refs, that would be a pretty big one, um, or judges, that would be huge are now involved in this. What do you do to contain this? So 
the first moves were right on the money by the UFC, releasing a fighter, sending the signal, hey, if you're involved in this even slightly, where you had an injury and then you told people about it and they could bet on it, you're gone. You need to disclose the injury to us, first and foremost, which I'm not saying Minner didn't do either. This is a key thing. The narrative out there is that Minner did not disclose this injury. We don't know that 100% for a fact. Right? Uh, very well may have been disco- disclosed, and now the UFC is saying, hey, we never heard that, you know, kind of pushing back all that fun stuff. Could easily be the situation. But they're sending a message to their fighters either way that, look, this caused a problem. We're kicking this guy out. We are essentially banning James Krause from the sport, at least temporarily. You got to watch out. I mean, that sends a clear message to all coaches and fighters that, yes, the updated policy in October was not just the 2012 code of conduct that was released by the UFC, which was largely ignored in the coming years. It's not just a written piece of paper for a CYA. It is, we're going to take action because this is now turned into a big enough problem we need to so that's your first move and that's the correct move the ufc made then it becomes all about getting these commissions happy and making sure other commissions don't follow suit for what ontario and alberta did so yes they've already you know reached out to their um integrity independent uh, you know, entity that's going to review the crowd situation. And they've stated that they are, I'm sure calling and in contact with NSAC, um, probably California too, because they're one of the commissions more likely to pull the trigger on pulling betting than others, just because of their politics, I would imagine. So they're probably talking to their contacts there. Uh, I'm sure they're talking to New Jersey, right? Any place that the UFC frequently holds events or has done major revenue there. I'm sure they're having people talk with those athletic commissions. Now, if this truly, I've I've seen some rumors out there that, you know, FBI is involved and this has become a federal thing. I don't know enough information about that, but if it truly has become a federal thing, then you can assume that the lobbyists, the UFC have currently on Capitol Hill are also probably getting involved. And again, talking to those contacts, trying to use their relationships to limit any further damage or inquiry that could lead to trouble, right? Don't forget, the UFC has lobbyists on Capitol Hill. Um, Bloody Elbow has done some important reporting on that. Those lobbyists can be used for a lot of things. This would be a scenario I would imagine they may want to reach out to them to talk to federal officials if the feds are involved. I don't know that they are. Again, I can't confirm that 100%. Um, but if they are, you're they're being utilized. Lobbyists are. So you get your contacts, again, to reach out to commissions, get a temperature check on how each commission is feeling, how the federal government is feeling if they're involved. And then you start internally making big changes, right? You've now got to retroactively fit your policies to be what they probably should have been all along, but was probably fast and loose. 
if you've ever worked for a startup or even bigger companies, you've seen this, right? This is the old, hey, we can do it this way. And like, well, maybe there are ways we can tighten this up, but we don't have the money or resources or we don't really want to. And nobody's messed it up yet. So let's just keep doing it. And then somebody messes it up. And suddenly now there is a rule that in the break room, you can no longer uh, have alcohol stored there because Jimmy got hammered at work one day and it caused a huge problem, got drunk in front of clients and it, you know, massive, massive issue. So from now on in the break room, no more alcohol can be stored there, right? Um, it's one of those scenarios, but it's at a much larger scale. Given ESPN's report, and again, commissions now looking at pulling certain things, and I, I think it's telling that for both Ontario and Alberta, even though the UFC essentially banned Kraus and fighters involved with Kraus, they didn't immediately reverse things and say, okay, no, it looks like they're doing enough. We're going to offer it again. That, again, signals to me much more going on behind the scenes. and. Many more people involved than just Kraus. He might end up being the fall guy, but yeah. So as you retroactively or attempt to retroactively fit these policies in, you've got to make sure your legal team and, you know, the de facto HR reps at the UFC, which, you know, is, is Hunter Campbell being a huge part of it, chief business officer, but I'm sure other reps that are involved with, handling, you know, coordination and logistics and travel with fighters and all that fun stuff and, and camps. You now have to keep them all involved and communi communicate to them what's going on. I'm sure employees in the UFC all got memos on like, hey, look, here's our new betting policy. Here's how this works, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got to be pretty strict about it, at least up front. While you've got the scrutiny on you, you have to be strict. Doesn't mean in two years, the UFC is this strict about stuff, right? Um, given the ramifications of this, they probably still will be, but it doesn't mean that can't degrade. It's while you've got the microscope on you, you've got to be dotting all your I's, crossing all your T's, mind your P's and Q's type thing. So expect internally a big shift in policy and much harsher reactions to anyone caught breaking these rules. Would not be shocked if, especially low-level fighters or non-name value fighters, break this rule in any form or fashion if they're instantly cut. And you see a wave of minor releases coming through of, oh, this person was released because they didn't disclose an injury or they decided to bet improperly on this stuff. And it shows true action on the UFC's part because that's what it's going to take for Ontario and Alberta to reinstate betting on UFC events as well as keeping other commissions from pulling things. You've got to show pretty much as fast as you can that you are taking this seriously, that you are putting true safeguards in place, and that you're really changing your policies to meet the standards of these commissions. Because again, the amount of revenue at stake here is too much, especially for endeavors new acquisition a sync endeavor if ufc events were pulled um from a couple more places and then stopped but it's it's going to hurt their bottom line significantly i would imagine um 
I mean, sports owned properties, the media rights deal with ESPN is still guaranteed, all of that stuff. But it, it could end up long term, especially, right? Let's say more commissions start pulling things, they don't get reinstated. That will directly affect media rights negotiations with the UFC once they're up in 20 and they're talking in the next couple of years, right? Because then ESPN can use that as leverage or Amazon can use that as leverage. You've got to act quickly if you're the UFC and endeavor to show that you're good to go, that this was a isolated incident or that, yes, it was a failing on the company's part. That's your kind of like last case scenario where you admit wrongdoing, right? You never want to admit wrongdoing right out the gate. You want to do that, do that as a last resort. Um, but you're you're making changes and you're showing that you're making changes to these entities so that business can go back to normal as soon as possible. Media rights deal could be massive. I think that's where things become very complex if this contagion grows and is not resolved by the end of 2024, that type of scenario. Because that will give several podcast partners leverage that they don't have right now in media rights deals for the UFC. Now, other economic factors, again, could sway exactly how much power that leverage is, but still, that is really where this could hurt UFC and Endeavor the most, in my opinion. Um, I don't think any of the sponsorships are at risk right now. If, again, match fixing comes out, then you're looking at a whole nother ball game, especially if it's outside of just Krauss. If it's all really limited to Krauss and that's really it, then you probably can get out of this mostly unscathed. If it's enough other people, this is going to cause some issues. Um, And you had Scott Coker release a statement saying, you know, we, we hold everything up in the utmost integrity and, and we welcome commissions and all that stuff. Smaller promotions are going to take advantage of this and say, hey, we're doing it all right. Like, come check us out. If you have any questions, doubts, let us know because, you know, we're here. And and they would prefer the UFC to be pulled places, right? Because then your only MMA betting action is Bellator, PFL1. And a lot of those bettors that bet UFC probably will, I don't know how much, but a fair amount would probably migrate to those other promotions, which gives you more viewers. This gives you more action, uh, possibly more merchandise, all that fun stuff. So that's huge. So again, mitigation measures, UFC's already taken a lot of the right steps here, but you've got to really show externally that internally you've changed. That's what this comes down to at its, its heart. Other ways UFC and Endeavor can do this Uh, You could set up a department or create a position that, you know, you're specifically looking at integrity and code of conduct issues. I wouldn't be shocked if UFC announces in the coming weeks, hey, we've now, you know, updated our code of conduct. And in order to address what happened with James Krause in this situation, we are setting up a new department that will look specifically on working with athletes, coaches, trainers to maintain maintain integrity of the sport and make sure that confidential information is shared through a structured, et cetera, way that, you know, 
lot of business BS that would say, hey, we are like hiring people to make sure this never happens again. Comes down to. And showing that perception. Again, it could still happen, but showing you're making these efforts and limiting things and that you care about this. It's what it all comes down to. Other than that, there's not much else they can do at this point. Again, putting the resources to clean this up now makes sense, but other than cleaning things up, they can't do too much. You don't want to impede any investigations. You don't want to get caught with your hand in the cookie jar from the UFC side, right? Where you tried to hide certain things and then commissions or reporters or whoever finds out about this reveals it. And then it, you know, is even bigger egg on your face. It's important and fragile enough. You want to play this very carefully. And I'm sure internally, they probably have a crisis team right now working on this. How large that is. I don't know where it ranks on their radar of things. I'm not sure, but I would imagine there's a mini crisis team involved to ensure that these issues are taken care of. And again, UFC will come up with ways, Endeavor will come up with ways to show they are making changes here and how bad this gets will determine their actions. Because if it's just limited to this and there's maybe one or two more peeps and then it dies out, they're probably fine. If it snowballs, which... I think it quite possibly could, then you're going to see big changes internally in the UFC, similar to what Endeavor did when they came in, bought the UFC, and then gutted, you know, former superstars that were not showing up to work making lifetime salaries, right? It's the the natural progression of a startup to a more mature company. You're going to, and especially if you have issues or areas that were not, focused on the way they probably should have been. They can come to bite you in the butt, which it seems like it did. And then you've got to rapidly change. So change management is what, it, what it's all about. And if, if people are obstructing that change, whether it be fighters, coaches, medical staff, internal employees, this is a big enough deal. I think you set the law down and you cut people pretty quickly. Sometimes you give people more room to adapt than others. This is a, a pretty cut and dry case of, Hey, you've got to get on board with this or you got to go. So those are my thoughts on where things are now, what the UFC and Endeavor can do to mitigate this, how it will change the industry other than the UFC getting things into place. I think it will also force any other promotion right now who maybe has some lax standards or regulations around this internally to quickly button things up. I think, Every promotion going forward is going to have some structures and policies in place to prevent inside information leaking out to betters and to influence any type of fight. I think they're going to really tighten things up. And I think if people, again, break that in any way, they're probably gone. That would be my guess. That's all you can do here. PR mitigation, reach out internally. Use your contacts to reach out to commissions to get a temperature so that you know if, the, you know, let's say California is going to pull UFC betting odds. You want to know that as soon as possible so that you can get ahead of it. I mean, that's that's what's going on right now.
Let me know your thoughts on the whole situation. Do you think that this will blow into to a huge thing? Do you think DraftKings will drop the UFC? Um, let me know your perspective because I'm curious to see what a fan's perspective is on this. And I'm very curious to see if anybody is not going to be betting UFC events for a while while this is happening. If they say, you know what, I'm just going to back off and wait for this to happen. Let me know if you're one of those people because that's a huge deal, especially if that's done in large enough numbers. So let me know. But yeah, it's a developing story. We'll continue to cover it. Probably won't be the main focus of the podcasts unless we have a major, major update. But we're going to be covering this for a while, I think. So let me know your thoughts. All right, before we get to our other big topic, let's dive into our quick hits here. A couple of things to note. Uh, on Thursday, December 1st, so same day we had all the, the betting scandal info drop, uh, UFC and La Liga North America have teamed up for a cross-promotional deal, as reported by Mark from Monday from ESPN. Um, quote, the UFC and La Liga North America announced a partnership Thursday that includes social media and digital collaboration and promoting each other's brands. UFC will send fighters to Spain for La Liga events three times a year, and La Liga will promote its league on existing UFC shows in English and Spanish. Um, two sides first team in September, bringing UFC interim flyweight champion Brandon Moreno and Spain-based rising star Ilya Topuria to La Liga games. Uh, Moreno attended games in Valencia and uh, Atletico Madrid. Topuria uh, joined Moreno in, in Valencia, where the two-team fighters spoke to youth players, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is a great move. Um, they're going to have some collaborations, it sounds like, so I wouldn't be shocked if you see some like Brandon Moreno or Topuria like La Liga jerseys and, and gear like that. Um, but this is a an example of cross-promotion between sports where you're not really competitors at all here, right? The overlap between soccer fans and UFC fans is probably somewhat but not in a in the sense where you know if if la liga is playing a game and ufc happens to have a vet you're probably not fighting over a ton of viewers at the same time um i, I can't imagine you would be so it's far enough away far enough removed combat sports and soccer that this is a good way to promote each other's brands to get fans involved who like both or who maybe don't know about one or the other become more involved, especially from the U S side, you know, as the U S becomes more involved and interested in soccer, um, this is a way to kind of get people to watch and then to give them exposure to leagues that they're probably unaware of makes a lot of sense. Like that deal a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's a great deal all around. Uh, next, we have to talk about Conor McGregor has been sued by Hardem Loboff. I'm not going to go into this too much other than it is a big deal that shows that McGregor is still dealing with certain things, right? Um, he essentially challenged Loboff to a fight <laughs> instead of um, dealing with the courts on this. And it revolves around proper 12 and Loboff believing that he deserved uh, some revenue and credit for for it. Uh, it was promised certain things by McGregor. And then there's defamation because of McGregor saying things, all this stuff. Just the continuing saga of Conor McGregor, right? You have the whole steroid thing, which I won't cover this time around. Maybe next week, depending on where we go with things. Um, but 
yeah, McGregor just dealing with that and some of the business news there. I, thinking this stuff is going to keep happening with McGregor right now. That's my personal gut instinct. Uh, I would be curious if people think that he won't continue to be in the news for various business issues or things like this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you think he's going to actually fight soon, I would love to hear about that too, given the steroid stuff, but we'll, we'll probably cover that in another podcast. Big enough that we have to talk about it though. And then lastly, uh, one championship and FanDuel have announced a deal where, uh, several one championship events will be broadcast on FanDuel plus, which is, Another plus streaming service, right? Another OTT streaming service. Not shocking. Um, but that's a huge move for one. It's We've seen this a little bit with PFL, right? As they gained traction, they got more sponsors. They were able to get more deals set up in place. With one holding events in the US, getting the Amazon deal, especially I think that was probably the biggest move. That's kind of caused this cascade of new sponsorships and deals coming through. This doesn't mean that one won't be on Amazon Prime. I mean, it's I believe they showed one on Prime 5 uh, on FanDuel Plus as part of like a advertisement for free, but it's not an exclusive thing where oh, one leaves Amazon and Amazon uh you know FanDuel Plus didn't say specifically in the press release how it will work, but my guess would be is that you know, the other one events, so for example, the event just headlined by Jared Brooks and Joshua Pashio, uh, Joshua Pashio, um, right? Like that will be on FanDuel Plus, and that maybe you have the Amazon events on there as well, but maybe Amazon keeps some of their events exclusive. It's, it's hard to say there, but no, one is not leaving Amazon. Um, they're just gaining another broadcasting partner, and again, think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's a betting site, especially with what's going on in the UFC, that can only help strengthen one's position at this point. And with Amazon only showing some of the cards, uh, having another brand name like FanDuel that a lot of American fans are familiar with, probably going to increase your exposure a bit. You know, the terms of the deals and, and financials, we don't know for sure, but um, or really any hint of it, honestly. But I would imagine it's a boost for one. Um, so yeah, it, I think that's a good deal as well. I think one is starting to make the right moves following their deal with Amazon. And especially with coming to the US in May of next year, they're really trying to get some steam and rolling through sponsorships and partnerships here that will help bring them into the black with a lot of things. Uh, so those are the quick hits for this week. Let me know if you have any other questions on that. Let me know if I missed anything. I did specifically omit the PFL pay-per-view. We will probably cover that next week, but um, gathering some more information on that. But no, I, especially with some of the comments about how much it sold and all this stuff, I didn't just ignore it. Harrison losing, right? Um, but yeah, did omit that specifically. So um, I am aware of it. But anything else that you think came up business-wise that you'd like me to cover or that you think I missed, let me know. Because want to make sure I'm covering stuff that you guys are interested in or have questions about. All right. Last thing that we need to cover here today is a look again at what MMA media is and isn't, especially in terms of business and the industry as a whole. So I've seen a lot of people 
come out and say, man, you know, nobody's been covering this betting story. They're just now picking up on it. Um, several people, several, several people saying like, why wasn't anybody talking about Krause's betting story earlier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, first of all, to address that, a lot of smaller sites have. Um, we obviously did here at the Fight Business Podcast um, cover it earlier on. But, you know, you had Luke Thomas, prominent MMA media figure, come out and say, you know, there's a lot of frivolity uh, that was being focused on instead of some of the deeper ethical issues and and more hard-hitting journalism piece. I would agree with that to an extent. Um, But yeah, you've got this criticism of MMA media in regards to this. And again, I think there is a misunderstanding here about what MMA media actually is and what its function is compared to what people believe it should be. So if you are an older person like me, depending on what you define as older, um, but if you were born, I don't know, pre 2000, especially, but really, I mean, I'd say even 2006, 2007, around that time, which I would imagine is most of you. I kind of hope it's all of you. Now that I'm realizing that would make you 14 if you were born in, eight or seven. So, <laughs> but if, if you were born, especially in like 1980s, um, early 1990s at the time during that era and for the majority of media in history before the digital age it was a very different beast, right? You had a lot more people going to, you know, big name newspapers being the main method of delivery you had the introduction of, of TV and radio, which added, you know, people going into those particular fields, but it was much more, Hey, I'm going to school for journalism. I'm going to learn how to become a reporter. I'm going to learn these particular ethics, uh, the way you write about certain stories, how you follow up on certain things. And then I'm going to ideally work for a big name newspaper, um, get editors to approve my story, make a name for myself, et cetera, et cetera. If you're a reporter, right. But, each of those entities controlled the information they released, right? So New York Times. I mean, I remember as a kid, after going to church on Sundays, we would stop by a shop, a small shop in my hometown, and my dad would always pick up the New York Times Sunday edition. And that was just something he had built a habit of doing throughout most of his life. and that's where he would get a ton of his information. And what the New York Times decided to put out was what my dad consumed. And that's how it was. Through radio, through TV, through newspapers, it was whatever those newspapers or TV stations or radio stations decided to cover, that was what the reader or listener or watcher was was forced to consume. So they had a lot more control on what was put out there because their revenue wasn't dependent on it. Right. They were the only games in town or there were I mean, there were other newspapers and things like that. But it was much more a, hey, our revenue, people are going to buy and read our stuff generally, no matter what. You may see influxes here and there, depending on what topics you generally cover and depending what competitors would cover, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, that's why the press was the fifth estate for so long, where it was this outside entity that depending on what they ran with and what they covered. You you had a steady rate of consumption. 
you had a steady revenue for the most part. Yes, it might fluctuate over years, but it wasn't nearly as volatile in the short term, right? Um, and, and that's big. Like overnight, you wouldn't just have newspapers have trouble getting readers. You would have a ton of things printed, uh, people buying and, and reading this stuff or, or listening and watching this stuff, and then viewership might decline. I mean, TV was a little bit different, but still viewership might decline over weeks, months, years type thing. That'll change in the digital age. Media now is a completely different beast. It is no longer about, hey, this is what we stand for as an organization. You know, what stories we're gonna gonna cover. I'm gonna sit around with my editor and say, okay, you know what, I think this is important. You go do this, do this, et cetera. And instead, it's become much more about what drives clicks to get ad revenue, to drive traffic and big data and all that fun stuff. And that's that's a monumental shift, right? And keep in mind, media tried to go back to what essentially was that old style with the athletic MMA team, where they assembled this quote unquote dream team, dream team of you know writers, where you had you know Sean Alshadi, um, you know the Myth, <laughs> um, all these other guys, these basically plucked from the biggest MMA media sites put onto the athletic to cover, you know, huge investigative stories, Josh Gross. I mean, so many people that are, are really the investigative reporter type from the early 2000s, mid to mid like 2010s who did a lot of that type of journalism or focused on some of those harder hitting stories because at the time, they were really still, okay, if you wanted to find out about MMA media stuff, you'd go to like two or three sites, right? You'd go to SureDog. You'd go to um, Cage Potato, right? Huge one. All, all these other old sites where they had the freedom to kind of go after these stories and it wasn't really our revenue comes down to clicks and viewerships and all this other stuff. That's wildly changed for everyone, for everyone. And the athletic experiment failed, right? Everyone was essentially let go, which sucks because they're all really, really good. I mean, they're awesome at their job. They're, they're the best of the best. And it didn't work out. And big part of that was they weren't getting, you know, athletic wasn't getting the subscription amounts they wanted, but they tried to say, you know, just pay us X and then we'll give you hard-hitting journalism and we will tell you what we feel is important. And it didn't work. And The Athletic ended up being sold to the New York Times, right? In today's media world, and I have several friends that work at all of the big MMA media sites, right? So Bloody Elbow, uh, MMA Fighting, Junkie, Sure Dog, obviously, Let's say the biggest sites. And everyone I've talked to, especially people in higher up positions at said sites, it's about what are people clicking on? What are people reading? And as it turns out, a lot of people are clicking on 
you know, predictions on Ty Tuivasa versus Sergei Spivak or Conor McGregor talking trash to Artem Lobov. I mean, I'm sure that was a pretty well-trafficked story. And they're not clicking on things like, hey, here are a certain promotion's finances or here is the antitrust lawsuit update. No, I mean, you've got some of that, but not nearly as much as some of these other bigger stories. Or sorry, other not as big stories, right? From a impactful point of view. They follow the trends and the traffic. They have to. That's how their businesses work. That's how parent companies are determining which sites they own are successful or not. Because again, it's not just MMA fighting is standalone or SureDog even is standalone. Roll up to parent companies, much like the UFC rolls up to Endeavor. And then those parent companies are making decisions on, okay, what site is bringing in this revenue? We're paying people this much. What's our ROI on this? You know, what do advertisers, what type of advertisers can we get? And what do advertisers want to see or be, where do they want to be placed? And almost always it's, we want to be placed on these big name stories that drive traffic. We don't care of the actual substance, substantive, I cannot talk. I apologize. Uh, value of this stuff, right? This is much more about what's getting clicks. That's why so many Conor McGregor tweet stories are out there where you have a copy and paste like Conor McGregor said this about this, blah, blah, blah. And then it's just a picture of the tweet. And then who knows what could happen? It's because a ton of people are clicking on it. And, and it, in a way, it sucks, right? It's the same type of scenario we saw with reality TV where suddenly a lot of, you know, you still have real housewives of whatever city doing very good numbers generally on TV. And it's just an absolute trash show. It's like, what is this garbage? Uh, keeping up with Kardashians, same type of thing, right? Just just utter trash, at least in my opinion. If you like it, you like it. But But people like to watch it. I know several very well-educated people who love to watch that stuff because it's just trashy and drama-filled and all that stuff. And people love that stuff. People who I'd be like, are you kidding me? You know this is not educational or informative or huge. And they'd be like, yeah, it's just great. Great drama, great fun. That's what MMA media has become now. That is why you have so many sites not covering things that appear to be big stories until they get traction, right? Maybe they'll mention it here or there, but it won't be a main, like maybe it'll be on a podcast like this, but it won't be a main focus necessarily, or you'll, you won't have tons of investigative journalism regarding it because that's not where the clicks are. And especially in media, in the MMA, or I'm sorry, MMA media, right? I don't know many of us at all who actually went to school for journalism and are in this, this gig. I know a lot of people that follow the sport are passionate about the sport are good writers or podcasters or commentators that then got an opportunity here, worked their way up and, and kind of made a name for themselves or, you know, worked their butt off and ended up getting, getting some of these jobs and they deserve them. I'm not saying they don't, but it's not like what it was back in the day where 
you know, to, to work for a bigger name outlet that covers a particular area, you probably needed a journalism degree or at least a journalism course or something of that nature that you could prove a certificate. That's not how it is anymore. Not anyone can get into this, you know, type of job, but if you work hard enough, almost anyone. That's vastly different than what media has been portrayed throughout, you know, even 20 years ago. And it's been a rapid change in the digital age. It's shifted the whole industry. People had to rethink the way that they hired, the way that they got revenue, the way that they covered things. It, everything shifted in that industry. And that has now led MMA media to be what it is. I mean, keep in mind, also, these people that I talk to and I know would love for other promotions to become huge, right? They would love for the UFC to have true competitors with Bellator, PFL, one championship. That only helps reporters then and, and media outlets then have options because, as many of you know, the UFC and other promotions kind of have carte blanche on who is able to be approved for shows or who can cover certain interviews or questions, right? And then you've got managers, which are gatekeepers that are the same way with managers being a lot of prominent managers being tied to the UFC or wanting to be favorable with the UFC, then saying like, hey, you can't say bad things about this or this. Like, otherwise you can't interview my clients, which is a huge, huge part of a lot of MMA reporters jobs. So you kind of have to play ball. And the UFC uses a lot of outlets as a PR extension. You know which outlets. It's not hard to figure out, especially if you look through some of them. There are clearly outlets that are essentially extensions of the UFC PR team. Or certain reporters that are. And that's how it is. And... I mean, they're making money and probably having the time of their life. Good for them. But it's not going to be true journalism where they're going to question or prod or, you know, really dive into uncomfortable topics or things that paint the UFC in a negative light. Or one or PFL or Bellator, right? There are certain fighters that I truly believe would not be anywhere near as name value as they are and penetrated things without media pushing them. There are certain promotions I think that would struggle a little bit around that, but there, there's a reason why world fight league, you know, that, that folding, right. The, the creator of that went on Ariel Hawani's show, who is arguably the biggest MMA journalist in, in our industry and him folding and kind of like just going silent was reported Again, by a semi-retired great friend of mine and Al, but, you know, not, it, that that's a stark difference, right? Like, why wasn't that reported by Ariel or at any major media outlet? Why wouldn't that be reported? People have to stop looking at MMA media as true journalism. It's not. It's nowhere near it. I'm not the only one who said this. I know Luke Thomas has done like three rants on it. A lot of people have, but it's not journalism. 
it isn't anywhere near journalism, especially of the, of the past. It's it's kind of modernish journalism, but even still, with the way that things are set up in the MMA world, promotions have a lot of power. Man, managers have a ton of power with fighters. Those dynamics will tie the hands of many people I think could be fantastic journalists if they wanted to. But the cost of being a fantastic journalist in this space is probably writing for either fringe sites or hitting a ceiling with how much money and, you know, really career growth you can get. And if you haven't noticed with the way things are going in the macroeconomic environment, not a lot of people want to be stuck at a certain lower salary for the rest of their lives, right? It's hard to support a family on that, hard to, you know, live your life in that environment. So that's why you have a lot of sites knowingly staying away from certain topics or covering things that a lot of people are saying, why aren't you covering, you know, this huge thing? Or or why are you covering Conor McGregor's latest tweets? It's because it's what drives ad revenue. It's what their bosses want. It's what the parent companies want. Do not look to MMA media as a truly objective source. I will say it again. Do not look to MMA media as an objective source in the sport. That's not what it's there for. It's there to promote and help promoters. Again, sell their clients if they're managers and, and fighters sell themselves, sell their product if it's a particular promotion, but they are not there to, in this industry, do objective journalism. You'll see it, right? Um, I, I mean, you'll see it. John Nash, Paul Gift, Jason Cruz, Kareem Zidane, lots of, lots of objective, important work out there. But you're never going to see, in my opinion, sites like Fighting, Junkie, and Sure Dog even truly embrace that full-on, like what we do now is just mostly investigative journalism because that's what The Athletic tried to do in a way, right? Like do their own thing, and, and it just doesn't work revenue-wise. I'm of us would love that. A ton of us would love that, but that's not what we're here for, and that's not the reality of the situation. So before you go bashing, you know, media didn't cover this or this. There's a reason, right? Remember MMA media's role in the ecosystem. Let me know your thoughts on this. Um, again, I'm part of the MMA media technically. So let me know how you feel about this. Let me know if I've done any of this stuff. I'm, I'm more than willing to, I'm an open book in regards to this. I do not have a, a dog in the fight, so to speak with, access to certain events or doing no i do this because i love to talk about it and it, it's a passion of mine but i'm more than happy to answer as many questions as i can about this stuff yeah let me know let me know how you feel about this from a viewer perspective because i will gladly talk about this all day and i think the misunderstanding with fans that Again, why aren't you covering this huge thing? Why aren't you doing this? It's not, we're, we're, we're not the New York Times. We're not the Washington Post. And even they have some issues, right? Um, especially with 
who they've been bought by and all this other stuff, but we're not that. We've never been that. I mean, back in, well, I'll retract that. Back in the day when you had people like Josh Crows and you had some of the other people, we you've got that in pockets still, but it's it's not what the major sites are and it, it won't be unless there's some major radical changes. But a lot of that also is driven by consumer, right? If you as the fans start consuming and wanting to know all about the antitrust lawsuit, everybody's going to cover it. All right, everyone. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast. Again, if you're on YouTube, hit the like, subscribe, bell, notification. If you're listening on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what have you, always appreciate and love you guys. I hope you found this one helpful. I know we've talked about both these subjects before in less detail on other podcasts, but I, I thought it was important enough to cover. If you feel that that's not the case, let me know, right? I am beholden to you as an audience, just as I mentioned the MMA media is beholden to their audience. I, I'm part of that. So uh, if you found it useful and you enjoy this, let me know that as well. I hope you did. Uh, again, if you celebrated Thanksgiving, hope it was awesome. We'll keep rolling, trekking through till Christmas, and then we'll take another break. But let me know if you want me to cover any certain topics. Um, I'm sure we'll cover some other things in depth here that happened in the past couple of weeks over in the next month or so. So until we speak again, y'all get money. <laughs>